of heights to the depths of the sea. And he says, I have found you. You've sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. The idea is to uh, make yourself merchandise. You're selling yourself to do something. You're making yourself merchandise. You're selling yourself. Behold, I'll bring calamity on you. I'll take away your posterity and cut off Ahab from every male in Israel, both bond and free. And I'll make your house like the houses of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And he goes on and he speaks of these other kings, which we have read previously. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says, I will take away your posterity and cut off from Ahab every male in Israel. God speaks a prophecy of judgment to Ahab. This was a severe judgment against anyone, in particular against a king. A king's legacy was in his posterity, succeeding him on the throne. And here, God announced an end to the dynasty of Omri, Ahab's father. His dynasty would come to a dead end, just like the dynasties of Jeroboam and Baasha. God's judgment is always true. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 21 in the book of 1 Kings. And they're so beautiful. And when they're working rightly, boy, the marriage is popping. And things are just, it's in order. And God blesses it. And when it's out of order, there is nothing but chaos and strife. And ultimately, hopefully not, but it happens all the time. Even in the church, divorce. Hearts get hard. Men abdicating everything to their wives. And their wives no longer feeling like they can... And, and, and then because they know in their hearts and their pride they can do it better, they usurp the husband and then, and then continue in that and God is not blessing their home. And pretty soon the wife has got to work and the man stays home and takes care of the kids. The roles get completely reversed. And we see that all the time. But the husband is to be the head of the wife as Christ is the head over the man and over the church. It says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. And then Paul will go on further and say, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp the authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed and then Eve. But see, a woman's role in the family, in the church, in society is extremely important. It's beautiful. But their roles are defined by God. And if they are truly, and if they are to be truly blessed and submit to their God-given roles, their houses will be a peaceful, safe haven. It will. It'll be a safe haven rather than a battleground and a place of strife. You know, and I think of all the, uh, over the years, I've seen all the sitcoms of a man and a woman, and most of them, the man, the, the, the sitcoms, the TVs, the movies, they make the man to look like some kind of fool. They make him look like this poor, 
guy who just doesn't have it together. He's got no smarts. He just sits around, you know, with a white T-shirt that's stained, drinking beer and barking out commands. You know, this, this kind of stigma or this caricature of a man has been totally monopolized and made men look totally crazy. Making them look lazy and unintelligent and womanizing and have am- having amoral characters. But she was a woman who was in charge, Jezebel. While her husband is crying and laying in the fetal position on the bed against the wall, she grabs the bull by the reins. She's now in charge, and she'll step up to anyone who would get in her way. If she were alive today, she'd be running for governor of New York. If she were alive today, she'd be running for governor of California. If she were alive today, she might even be in the White House, Jezebel. So ladies, your God-given role is precious, and we need you now more than ever. We need you now more than ever. I'm not saying any of you are Jezebels. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying that when things get out of order, then, then you know, these things happen all the time. If the husband's not doing it, a woman will gladly fill that role. And sometimes it's not her fault. I mean, she's got something that, that's in her that will, will do that if that void is open. But ladies, resist the temptation. Pray for your husband. If he's not doing what God wants him to do, pray for him. Exhibit faith and pray for your husband and serve him and bless him. And God will bless you and eventually God's going to get him. It's not easy. But there's only one way to do it. You can't do it through henpecking. You can't do it through yelling at him and withholding from him. If you do that, it's, it, you're, you're, you're going to go further down the drain, your marriage. It always happens that way. But if you're willing to tough it out and say, you know what, my husband's not doing what he should be doing, and I'm doing everything, it seems, certainly have the talks. You don't have to raise your voice. Be honest. Get into the Word together. The Word of God will convict him. You don't need to say much. He knows what he should be doing. But Jezebel takes the reins. Takes the reins. So they proclaimed a fast. They seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And these scoundrels come and they, they say that he had blasphemed God. And they took him outside the city and they stoned him and, and he died. And, and, um, and then Jezebel, they, they went to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned. It's, it's, the dirty deed has been successful. Now it's time to uh, rejoice. And so, and it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that she went to Ahab and, you know, says, arise and, you know, take possession of the vineyard now. But even in killing him, the property should have gone to the next of kin. But Ahab and Jezebel swoop in like vultures to eat the carrion that's left, meaning Naboth's vineyard. They take possession of it. It it should have been going to his family, his next of kin, anyway. And so it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead that he got up off his bed, wiped off his eyes. I'm sure it's all red and puffy from crying against the wall. Sorry, I'm, I'm having a little bit of fun with Nate, with Ahab, okay? I know you're, you're enjoying it too. I can, I can tell as I look out. Um, 
So then the word of the Lord, so he goes down to take possession of the vineyard. Then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and uh, the Tishbite. Saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab king of Israel, he who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall go down to him, saying, Have you murdered and also take possession? And, and you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. And so Ahab and Jezebel, they're, they're guilty of murder, they're guilty of stealing. But notice that God comes to him, the head of the house, first. He doesn't come to Jezebel. You notice that? Same thing you did with Adam and Eve. When, Adam, when, when Eve took of the fruit that God told them not to do, did God approach Eve first? No, he went to Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? Well, God, you know where I'm at. No, I do, but I want you to acknowledge it. Where are you? I, don't have, no, I have no clue where I'm at. He came, to, he came to the man first. They're guilty. And we will see this prophecy in verse 19 of, of, in the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, the dog shall lick uh, Ahab's blood. We will see this literally come to pass later on in the last chapter, which is in, like next week, we'll, we'll begin to see this. And Ahab, excuse me, will be killed in battle. And we will see that as well, and, and this prophecy will come to pass. So verse 20, it says, So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he says, I found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, Elijah was his, the, the best man that he ever had. Elijah was one of the best men that Ahab could ever hope to have because he told him the truth and he would give him the truth. And he, he, he was sent by God to hopefully bring this man to repentance and see, enemies seek your harm and your destruction, but God, through Elijah, was seeking to get Ahab to reconsider his ways and to live and have a prosperous life. That was God's design. It wasn't just to come deliver the death blow and say, you're condemned and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, you know, if, if, if Ahab would have said, you know, broke like an egg and said, Lord, I, have, I, have, I'm comp- uh, I, need, I need you, Lord. Would you please forgive me? God would have done even more, I believe. Elijah was not his enemy. He was certainly the best friend that Ahab ever had. And he says, I have found you. You've sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. The idea is to uh, make yourself merchandise. You're selling yourself to do something. You're making yourself merchandise. You're selling yourself. Behold, I'll bring calamity on you. I'll take away your posterity and cut off Ahab from every male in Israel, both bond and free, and I'll make your house like the houses of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And he goes on and he speaks of these other kings, which we have read previously, and we're going to see these judgments that God is going to now bring upon Ahab literally come to pass, and we're going to see it not at, and we're going to see it next week beginning to happen, but it's ultimately going to come to its fruition in Second Kings nine through chapter ten, verse seventeen, I think. We're going to see Yehu, this king who is going to replace Ahab. He's going to come, and he's going to kill all of Ahab's sons, all of his relatives, all the males. And, um, and Elisha, 
In 2 Kings chapter 9, he sends one of the prophets to anoint Yehu and, and basically tells him his marching orders. This is what you're to do. You're to go and strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all of his servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. This is what God is telling the prophet to tell Yehu to do because God is going to fulfill that prophecy. He's going to take care of business because of Ahab's unwillingness to obey. He was supposed to kill Ben-Hadad when he had him in his hands, but instead he makes a deal with him and lets him go. Do you remember another king who did that? The Saul ring a bell with King Agag? He was supposed to kill him as well, and he didn't. And Samuel had to come in and take care of that business for him. And it was around that time God said, I repent that I made you king. Of course, God knew what he was doing, but he gave Saul a chance. And so now, um, Yehu gets this uh, message from God through a prophet whom Elisha sends, or Elijah sends. Cut off Ahab and all of his posterity, all of his family, all of the males, and the dog shall eat Jezebel, and the plot of ground, and there shall be none to bury her. And all of this would literally be fulfilled in Second Kings chapter 9 as well, verses 30, um, or actually verses 9 through 10, uh, chapter 10 through the end of verse 17. You'll see all of these things come to pass. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord doesn't let her off the hook either. The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And we see that in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. And the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one ever like Ahab who sold himself. There's the same word again. He made himself merchandise and uh, to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because... Circle that word, underline this phrase, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Now, this makes it pretty clear that Jezebel was a major instigator in the cause of Ahab's sin. Now, he was a sinner, and he was probably going to sin anyway, but his wife really stirred him up, and so God held her accountable. And she was a great catalyst in causing him to go even further down into that ugly pit. And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord did cast out before Israel. And so it was when Ahab heard those words. Notice again, verse 27. And this is a a really interesting uh, phrase again. When Ahab heard those things, he tore his clothes. And he put sackcloth on his body, which is a, 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 a sign of mourning, All throughout the Bible, whenever somebody would do that, when they would tear their clothes and wear sackcloth and fast, and and he went about mourning, that, that Ahab was affected by the hearing of the word of God. Isn't that amazing? The light hadn't gone out on him completely. God, you know, had pronounced judgment upon Jezebel, and there was no turning back from that. But the Lord tells Ahab that this is what's going to happen. And then Ahab's response just touches the heart of God. Again, a bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoking flax he won't quench. Don't forget that. Because maybe when you've made a mistake, maybe when you've committed some sin, maybe some habitual sin, and you're struggling, remember that. Come back to the Lord and confess. 
and have him cleanse you. Confess it, and he's faithful, right? That if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We will remember that sin, perhaps, but God has put it under the blood of Christ, and he willfully forgets it because of the blood of Christ. So Ahab was affected by hearing the word of the Lord when it was concerning his correction and the judgment that was going to be coming upon him. And although he was an idolater and an evil man, he, there was some humility in him. I love what it says in Ezekiel 33, verse 11. And God says to Ezekiel the prophet, he says, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And we have to remember that as well. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? That was God's pleading with them before he would finally lead them or allow them to be led into captivity. But that's his heart. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there was hope for Ahab. There was something in there. Because disobedience and unbelief, they have consequences, don't they? Even for the child of God, disobedience and unbelief has consequences. Just because we, we are called by the name of the Lord, we're, just because we're born-again believers and, and we step out in disobedience, God's going to chasten us. And he does that because he loves us. If he didn't chasten me, then I, I would be like a bastard son. I'd, I'd know that he didn't care for me. But if you truly love someone, when you see them going toward the danger, everything in your being, and you know this, as if you have kids or anything, or grandkids, you're just like a, everything within you, you're trying to not hover. You're trying not to hover and be a mother hen or a father hen, you know, and you're, you're just, you're, you care so deeply because you love so much. And God made us that way. But disobedience and unbelief, they have consequences even for the believer. God will chasten us. In Galatians, Paul said, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And even though we see this humility in Ahab, God's still going to bring judgment upon him. But he doesn't do it. Notice what it says. And the, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, uh, and so God speaks to Elijah. He says, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Do you see that, Elijah? And I, and I think he's saying that to us tonight. Do you see that? Don't forget that. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. Didn't he do that to King Hezekiah too? One of the good kings? He says, I'm not going to bring this judgment upon you in your, in your life, but after you. Didn't he say that to Solomon as well? Even though Solomon made some really bad mistakes. Solomon, I'm not going to do this in your time. But when you're gone, I'm going to do it in your son. But God is gracious to the broken and humble, isn't he? And that, to me, that's one of the things. Not only the obvious, uh, and we'll just end with this here. 
not only Jezebel and her character, which none of you ladies should want to exemplify in any means, but stay away from it completely. We also, guys, need to look at, and and gals, we need to look at this humility. And let God break you, often, you know. I love what it says in Psalm 51 during David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba. David would say, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And that's what God saw in Ahab. He says, I'm not going to do this now, but I'm going to do it in your son's life. You're going to pay the price, Ahab, but all of these things I'm going to do after you're gone. For thus says the Lord, Isaiah says in Isaiah 57, Verse 15, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, finally, and we'll end here. Isaiah says, the Lord speaks through Isaiah, saying, For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. I love that verse, you know. Learn to tremble at God's word. Don't push it away from you, but when you hear it, act upon it. Let it change you. And see, that's what I saw in Ahab. Even though he didn't fully repent, there was something there that God is willing to work with. And his judgment could have been so much worse. He could have been like um, Zedekiah, who was taken captive to Babylon. And, and, and before they took out his eyes, before they put them out, they, he, they killed his sons right before his eyes. And the last thing he saw was his kids being put to death. And then they plucked out his eyes, or they put out his eyes. But God says, no, I'm going to wait. Because I see something there. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't he a fair and just God? Never forget that either. He's a fair and just God. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this passage. Lord, for the obvious um, lessons here for for women and for men, and Lord, for all of us, Lord, to be, uh, to be broken and contrite and to know that, Lord, when we are, you're not going to cast us away, Lord, that whatever could be coming our way is, Lord, more often softened because of our heart's attitude, Lord. May we all, even when we are in our grossest of sin or even when we have made some really horrible things, mistakes, even as believers, Lord, help us to come to you quickly, confess and be broken, and, and to mourn over our sin and to have you cleanse us and heal us and restore us. And, and there may be consequences for that, God, but I know that you lessen those things when we are humble and contrite, as we've seen in the life of Ahab, in a small way. And so, Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for tonight. And I pray that you'd bless my brothers and sisters. Lord, that you would encourage them in all of our troubles, all of our struggles that we go through, Lord, would you just be God over all. Be God over all, Heavenly Father, and take us by the hand, your children, myself included. So thankful for you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.